Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. So we're about to wrap up our tribute episodes here of people that we lost in 2020. Uh, today's actress actually made it to 2021, but soon died in the hospital of complications uh, related to, I believe, a urinary tract infection that just got bad and worse and had her on a ventilator. And sadly, her longtime husband couldn't even visit her in the hospital because of the COVID restrictions. Uh, so It's so sad. Yeah, it is pretty sad, right? But anyway, let's let's not talk about the sadness. Let's talk about the life of one Tanya Roberts. Tanya Roberts was born Victoria Lee Bloom, but uh, changed her name to Tanya Roberts to kick off her modeling and acting career. She started out as a model uh, in the 70s. Big surprise. Yeah, I know, you know right? She's, she's ugly as sin. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, she's stunningly gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. And especially in this movie as well. It just, I mean, she, her eyes sparkle and she's, yeah, she's quite nice. Um, she didn't always get the best reviews for her acting. I thought that in this movie, which is 1979's Tourist Trap, also, by the way, recommended to us by Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, for that. As soon as you saw that she had died, you had mentioned on our Facebook page that we ought to do a tribute to her. Uh, This is, uh, I think, one of the only horror movies she's done. She's most known for coming in, I think, at the last season of Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Replacing one of the other actresses in a bid to kind of revitalize the series as it was declining, but that didn't quite work. She was a Bond girl, I believe. She was a geologist in... A View to a Kill? And with the uh, with the whole Charlie's Angels thing, in those later seasons, they were switching girls out, you know? <laughs> People were leaving, coming and going, and, and she was the last one. But to her credit, she was a big fan favorite, and the whole last season really revolved around her. She was the center of most of the storylines uh in that season and and she was well received so there's that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know she was in some movies like the Beastmaster. um i think one of her earliest films was a, was a remake of a was an r-rated remake of a pornographic movie called forced entry <laughs> oh ew <laughs> yeah right <laughs> if you can imagine but this one a tourist trap was 1979 and it was produced by charles band we know charles band pretty well yep his line of productions is a mile long and this is probably one of his earlier ones i think maybe one of the fifth or sixth productions you guys know him as a producer of a lot like the puppet master series yeah. Uh, the dolls. A lot of movies actually that we've kind of enjoyed. And then a lot of movies that are just plain dumb and straight to video fair. Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I mean, as a producer, he's just so prolific. Like, he's put out so many movies. And they're pretty low budget. And some of them are pretty schlocky. But it's kind of hit and miss. Like, you and I have enjoyed a lot of those movies. We have. For various reasons. <laughs> right. And and of course, of course, when we talk about them, there's always criticism, but there's also a lot of entertainment value in a lot of his movies. So I don't know. You know, I, of course, I certainly don't have my finger on the pulse of like, you know, Hollywood elites and how those people view these types of productions or whatever. But from a public perspective, from a, a fan perspective... I've really kind of come to respect Charles Band. Yeah. Uh, just, yes, some of those movies are bad, but some of them are a lot of fun. 
And and this one, it, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but it's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing if not interesting, yes, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's really all over the map. I mean, I feel like this movie is cobbled together from a lot of other movies, honestly. You've got... A little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there, a little bit of House of Wax, a little bit of Psycho, and then some weird kind of the Fury type Carrie stuff almost in there. Carrie, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's just so all over the map that I think it was a little confusing for me at first to put a pin in what was going on. And maybe that's to the movie's credit in a way. It, I mean, it sounds kind of derivative, and so maybe it is kind of derivative, you know, but in deriving its material from all of these different places and putting together something very odd and strange, strangely compelling to watch at times, a little boring at other times. Yeah. Um, it is, in its own way, a little original. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, that could be said. The screenplay was written by uh, David Schmoller and uh, J. Larry Carroll and uh, was originally pitched to Charles Band, and they really wanted John Carpenter to direct this. Yeah. But John Carpenter was too expensive, so it came back, and they said, look, uh, Charles Band himself said, look, David Schmoller, why don't you direct this movie instead? So this was actually his very first directing gig. But then after that, David Schmoller went on to do Puppet Master... Um, he did a horror movie called The Arrival, uh, Possessed, a uh, bunch of episodes of Silk Stockings on TV, mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of random stuff, but mostly kind of in this lower budget television or, you know, direct to video horror kind of thing. So he said that he learned a lot directing this movie about just how to do that, how to direct actors and how to direct actresses. So for a first time director working with uh, some stars, the male antagonist in this movie is very very well known chuck connors uh who's kind of a legend of the screen and television honestly yeah i always visually depending on the role he's in and the makeup and his age he he kind of passes off for charlton heston a little bit you know mm-hmm. he's yeah, i can see that he's got some of that uh that look in his eye he's got a much more square jaw he he was a cowboy in a lot of movies and yeah i mean was he on bonanza i don't know i i, I remember he he's he screams cowboy to he me he does um, yeah and and maybe that's because the thing that i am most familiar with him from um, is Old Yeller. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Old Yeller was a movie that they used to show us in grade school all the time. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he he was in that, and he's fine in this movie. Um, Stephen King is a big fan of this movie, or at least was uh, back in the day when he wrote his nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, about horror. And he, he really liked this movie, and he thought that the special effects were really compelling and that the story was interesting. He wasn't terribly fond of Chuck Connors' Uh, performance, but he said it's not because I don't think that Chuck Connors is a good actor. I just think that he was maybe a little bit miscast in this movie. And I don't agree. I think he's fine in this movie. Yeah. But I know that their the their first pick for his role was Jack Palance. <laughs> and I totally understand why Jack Palance didn't take the part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but had he had he taken the part, I think he might have brought a little bit of gravitas that uh, Chuck Connors just doesn't quite have. Like, he's almost there. And I do enjoy him in this movie. I think he does a good job, especially since 
here we go. We're three minutes in, ten minutes in, whatever. Ultimately, he's kind of playing a dual role. Yeah. And it's kind of a surprise. I mean, I, I think it's projected a little bit. I don't know. He's creepy. I like the duality of his role because on the one hand, he plays this very helpful, charming country kind of guy. And then on the other hand, he's this total freaking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, which is good. I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot of people when they're casting these movies will purposely cast unknowns, right? Because they don't want the baggage that comes with the actor's prior work or whatever they've carved out for themselves. In this case, it kind of works to the advantage, right, of having this well-known actor who is usually um, kind of a hero-type character, jovial, friendly, kind of macho guy. Yeah. But, you know, he has that type, and he always has. And and at this time, he was had this notion, anyway, that he could reinvent himself mm-hmm. as a sort of Boris Karloff-type uh, villain, you know, who could play villain in a bunch of movies. And then he did play the villain in a few other films after this, and maybe fulfilled his goal, at least varying his output a little bit more and being able to prove he can do that. Like you said, it's, I don't know, I mean, some of it's the script, it, it gets into cheesy territory at times, but when you were talking about what is essentially a Norman Bates type character, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's gonna, you gotta play crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you can kind of forgive about anything because we don't know what his particular psychosis is and we, we get some ideas of where it's come from as the movie progresses. And, and I think the movie does actually a pretty good job of feeding us drip by drip a little bit more of his backstory as it goes along. I think that I would have found the movie more boring if it weren't for the fact that the villain is so odd like yeah. he's just so weird the beginning right <laughs> he's so weird that it's compelling yeah okay so this is a slasher movie basically yeah and and it's it's very typical like you said texas chainsaw massacre house of wax or at least the remake of house of Ma- of wax where you've got a group of people young people i would you know 20 somethings or whatever and they're out for a good time and one of them gets uh, a flat tire they're they're traveling in two cars the lead car gets a flat tire and the guy whose car that is woody <laughs> I just have like <laughs> this buff, handsome guy. Yeah, I, was, a- I wish they would. I wish they would have killed off Jerry first instead of Woody because Woody was hot. Like- <laughs> I was just gonna say the minute that came on the screen, I was like, "Oh, Craig's gonna like this movie." And then he gets killed off, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, well, maybe we'll." <laughs> I mean, he's like half shirtless, muscular. He, it's his shirt is pink. He's Ripped. got this white like, hat. He's got abs for days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just rolling a tire down the street. Right yep. for the picking, I guess. So he's just rolling this tire down the road, and he comes up on this place. Like It looks like a service station, but it looks like it's abandoned. So since nobody's there, he goes in the back, and it looks like somebody is sleeping like on a cot or a bed, yeah, but he when he goes voices. and tries to wake it up... Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he's hearing like weird kind of creepy voices. And when he tries to wake the person up, a mannequin like pops up and laughs. And then... I I don't know how you could explain these events any other way than right away it appears supernatural because 
The door slams and locks and nobody's there. The windows are opening and closing by themselves, keeping him out. A a a mannequin breaks through the window. Another one pops out of the closet. The mannequins are, like, laughing creepily. And then a cabinet starts rattling and lights are flashing. And then debris starts flying out of the cabinet at Woody. And it looks really cool, like projectile flying out of this cabinet. And I read that the way that they did it was that they suspended the cabinet from the ceiling and just threw things straight down. Yeah, just dropped them. And and change change the camera perspective. Um, but it looks really cool. But eventually, a pipe shoots out and stabs him through the back. And then we just hear some weird man voice grumbling. Like, he's saying things, but I couldn't even yeah, right? make out what he was saying. It was so bizarre because you're trying to put it's your very bizarre you're trying to put your finger on what's happening it you know and of course the movie's called tourist trap and so uh-huh. you're thinking that he's kind of gotten locked in this little puzzle room you know i mean there's nobody around Mm-mm. but then these things are happening and coming out so my first reaction was oh okay all these mannequins and things they're all mechanical devices and you know the door auto locks and that and the window and then once things start shooting out of the cabinets i mean you're like well okay this is clearly supernatural the way this is going down and I didn't even understand how his arm got caught in the door it's like he poked a hole in it was trying to trying to open it from the other side but something was holding his arm on the other side it it's just really unclear except that all this crazy haunted house type shit is happening in the middle of the day and uh once that pipe go you know goes into his back it's like he's dead and the yeah. camera and we never see him again yeah and the camera just does this extremely slow pan down from his shocked face down to the pipe and blood is already dripping out the end of it and across the floor and up and out the windows and you're waiting for a reveal you know you're waiting for something and then all we hear is that is that sound of the laughter or whatever mumbling and then boom we're back with the other car, which is driving down the street, mm-hmm. and um, meets up with the person that he left at the car, uh, who was Eileen. And we have a few other people in the car uh, who are traveling together. So this is Jerry and uh, Molly. And Molly is like this prim, proper, you know, she's the girl you're thinking, okay, she's going to be the final girl because she's just uh, <laughs> almost comically right she's she has like a hat on that's annoyingly like a, a, so a bonnet she looks like she stepped right out of the little house on the prairie yeah. like <laughs> it's ridiculous she even i mean she literally kind of looks like nelly olsen from uh. little house on the prairie <laughs> she, she's obviously so prim and whereas the other girls you know eileen looks like a typical girl she's she's very spunky i liked her and i liked that actress but then you've got becky right Mm -hmm. isn't that that's that's the becky is tanya roberts yeah and she is like she's a sex pot but at the same time like not trashy like no she's very very curvy and of course she's wearing you know skin tight like halter top and and tight little cut off jean shorts or whatever. Yeah. Very very sexy, but also she seems nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she's she's not trashy in her appearance. And it doesn't matter ultimately, but like since we're talking about her, you know, I just <laughs> I think that's to her credit. She's very sexy without being 
trashy looking and i she was beautiful to look at oh gosh yeah i mean i'm not ashamed to admit i was i was hoping we were going to see some nudity in this movie and uh, shockingly we didn't i guess there was supposed to be they wanted it yeah <laughs> but the, the, the director was too shy to bring it up until the scene where they all go skinny dipping which isn't about you know another minute later and uh, they were all like uh no we're not doing that <laughs> so yeah. they're all nope. you know just <laughs> submerged enough in the in the water to uh to cover up all the uh the naughty bits as it were right <laughs> but you know <laughs> her dirty pillows <laughs> but you know well yeah <laughs> which is which is fine yeah like of course it's fine. you know it's we it's, don't care it doesn't bother me at all nudity of course does not bother me at all but the lack of nudity doesn't bother me either and you know there's still plenty of eye candy for the male gaze these are beautiful women yeah um we don't have to see them totally nude to appreciate their beauty uh but thank you for putting that disclaimer out there craig (laughs) (laughs) i am we are two guys in a chainsaw and i endorse this message (laughs) (laughs) but the other thing that that leads to is that this movie is rated pg Mm. um and we don't do a lot of pg rated movies on this podcast we don't this was also before poltergeist when the pg-13 rating came into existence um but the filmmakers i don't remember if it was the producer or the director really felt that that pg rating killed them yeah and it probably did if they had somehow gotten an r And, and they were surprised because they thought that the content was disturbing enough that it warranted an R. Yeah. Um, but I guess because of the lack of sex and nudity, and really because there is violence, but it's not graphic. No. It's a little brutal, but... It's brutal, not filmed but in not, a brutal way. not... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean... I think that it did work out a little bit to their favor and that they got some play on syndication on television out of this movie, apparently, because yeah. of the rating. So, you know, maybe it made a little bit more money than it would have otherwise. I mean, there's a lot of creepiness. You know, it's funny. I just put together, just today, hey, everybody, check out our website at twoguys.red40net.com, where I just put up a page called Family Friendly Horror Movies, where I just went back and categorized these movies that, you know, what was it, uh, last last year? Right? We had the whole month where we did quote-unquote kid-friendly... Yeah, like gateway horror. Yeah, yeah, like that kind of stuff. And as I was going back and categorizing our content and and remembering it, these are still horror movies, right? They're By, by definition, they're going to be oh, yeah. scary. They're going to have disturbing things in them. Most of them have some level of or degree of violence in them. Or, you know, whether it happens on screen or off screen, some blood, even right. even a little bit of nudity, some language. But still, you know, depending on the age of your kids and depending on the maturity level, the people in your house and things like that, a lot of these movies that we've done, a good 25 of them I found, I would say, go and check it out first before you show it to your, you know, your 12-year-old. Sure, sure. But based on your own values. But in a general sense, they're not like the kind of stuff that we normally do here where right. heads are getting lopped off and, you know, arms. As ridiculous as it can be sometimes, it's still brutal and graphic and gross. Right. Um, this is definitely one of those movies that you could watch with your family. It could come on TV and it would be just fine. Although it's still right. still disturbing. It is. And and I think that there's like some nightmarish 
stuff in here. Like, not that I would ever have any reason or call to, but I could probably show this at school without having to send home a permission slip. I mean, it's yeah. PG. There's not, there's no graphic violence, really. But that doesn't mean that there's not some nightmarish stuff. Like, the villain is is really very creepy. <laughs> I wouldn't want I wouldn't want him poking up in my dreams. Right. Um, yeah, okay. So, it's PG. All right. Anyway, so they're all back together and so they're basically now that the second car has caught up, they continue down the road and and they're looking for Woody. And they find his tire abandoned, and they see all these signs for, like, Slauson's Lost Oasis. And one of the girls like, oh, these tourist traps are all alike, blah, blah, blah. Great. Get the title. <laughs> yeah. They find his tire, and they drive by. And as they drive by, I feel like the wind from their drive-by, like, uncovers a sign that they don't see that says, like, close to the public, yeah. keep out. yeah. Which is kind of weird, and I read who put up that sign. Is it somebody who knows the dangerous things that are going down here? Or another speculation is that it might be the villain himself. Because like you said, it kind of appears to be this Norman Bates type of thing where he kind of has a dual personality. Yeah. Where one of his personas is kindly... And the other is murderous. So maybe he put it up himself. Who knows? But they pull up to this place and the Jeep dies for no apparent reason. And I wouldn't have thought much of that except for then while they're sitting there for absolutely no reason, the headlight shatters too. And it's like they don't even notice it, right? I mean, they're more concerned about the Jeep. And I'm thinking, oh, when are they going to notice the headlight shattering? How is this working? And how is this significant? And did it get shot out? It didn't. I mean, it's so weird, right? It's like, okay, clearly there's some supernatural thing happening here. Exactly. Yeah. And and ultimately, that's what you figure out, that there is something supernatural going on here. And it's bizarre, and it doesn't really come to light until later, but it's obvious that something supernatural is happening. We do get a little bit of an explanation. It's not laid out for us like, oh, here's the exact science of why all this is happening. We just find out later that this guy has telekinetic powers. Why? We don't know. What's the extent of what he can do? We don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> he can just do stuff. And apparently he can disable their car to keep them there. Yeah. And so then they, you know, they kind of get out of the car and the girls wander over the hill. And that's when they discover, oh, my gosh, there's this beautiful, beautiful waterfall and a pond there. Eileen says, oh, I think we should go swimming and Molly comes up in her bonnet and is like, but we don't have swimming suits. And they're like, well, that should, that never doesn't need to stop us. <laughs> oh, God. But it's it, even in the beginning, right? The main character, Mr. Slauson, comes in and in, in is pretty creepy because the girls are skinny dipping on his property. Molly is there. She's the one who notices these legs come over the hill first. And she's a little closer to the shore and so he looks down at her and starts talking to her and asks her her name so i mean you know he is almost he's doing this as though he doesn't have three beautiful naked girls in front of him uh and he's just chatting with them used to be i'd charge 75 cents a day to swim here not no more though used to be i'd have 25 30 visitors a day here then the government decided to Build a new highway. 
It's the old story, right? Of though they put in that highway, and I guess folk just want to go fast nowadays, and they don't have time to slow down. <laughs> in fact, he says something like, "Ever since they put in the highway, we've lost all our business," or something, which is a line lifted directly from Psycho. Psycho, yeah. But this this part is funny to me because yet he does show up, and I suppose you could consider it creepy. That this man, you know, is like leering over these girls. But again, like you said, they're under the water. They're not fully exposed. And he's very friendly. He's not mean. He's not admonishing them. He's not yelling at them. He's friendly. Uh, And it's funny to me because as silly as this situation may sound, my maternal grandfather was a country man. He was a farmer. He was educated through the eighth grade. And then he went off and fought in World War II and came back and was a farmer his whole life. And he owned a lot of property. And this happened to him more than once Mm. that he would have to go out and chase off skinny dipping kids off of his property. (laughs) (laughs) And he was always nice about it too. You know, I'm glad you're having fun, naked kids, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Ski-daddle. When you got a good thing, you know, if you build it, they will come. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Apparently, if you live in the country and you have a pond, beautiful women will come and swim naked in it. I I don't know. The things you learn too late in life. (laughs) (laughs) It's... And it's also, I mean, he's kind of charming. You know, it's cute. He's like, y'all best leave before it gets dark. What happens at dark? Well, this here hole fills up with water moccasins. If you feel something wiggling around your feet, it's just the early ones come to find a good spot. It's just so funny. (laughs) (laughs) But they get out and they're talking about him and and they go back to the jeep and he's there waiting for them at the jeep yeah. and they're all together now jerry's with them too and he looks at the car and he says oh there's something wrong with it we'll need tools so he takes them back i thought he was going to be taking them back to his house because that's what he says but it actually turns out to be like this roadside attraction the slosson museum and he says he lives there he does say he lives there that's which is weird because somebody also notices that there's a big house just down the way yeah and he's like, oh, nobody lives there but Davy. And they're like, Davy? And he's like, uh, Davy Crockett. And he's got this whole, like, it's small. It's not big, but it's like, it looks like an old timey. I know they still exist, but you don't see them very much. But those, you know, kind of Midwestern roadside attractions where you go in and pay tourist traps. To see. <laughs> tourist traps exactly but they're yeah, kind of fun yeah. you know i've always been kind of intrigued oh, I by love these them. places um they're very kitschy and like a wall drug or something like that right and- yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've never been to wall drug but i hear it's amazing oh man <laughs> and and i gotta go get me a raccoon skin cap from <laughs> wall drug at some point in my life have you ever been to house on the rock I've I've driven by it, but I haven't been there. Oh, my God. That is the tourist trap to end all tourist traps. It's the most amazing, incredible thing I've probably ever seen in my life. I could go on and on about House on the Rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this place, like, it's it seems like mostly mannequins, but he also talks about wax figures. And he talks about how his brother 
had been super, super talented at making these wax figures. And they do stuff, like, they, he can flip switches and, like, they'll move and, like, he's got the Davy Crockett one that, like, raises its rifle and fires and startles all of them. He's like, oh, yeah, that's always a popular one with the kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's not particularly impressive, really. Like, it mostly just looks like mannequins. But there's, I don't know, it's kitschy yeah, and fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, it, again, it's the sort of thing that appeals to people in a different time. And back when that was, you know, when we didn't have high-tech animatronics, this kind of thing was kind of cute. Right. I love how he goes in and he's got like a Dr. Pepper vending machine and he just opens it up like you're going to change the stuff out and pulls the beers out to <laughs> hand around to the kids. <laughs> it's so funny. And... You know, actually, he goes back into talking about his brother a little bit more, talks yeah. about himself, you know, that how he was been went into the Navy and got kicked out of there, and then he got kicked out of jail, and he got kicked out about anything else in his life, and he and his wife just settled down and did this thing, and his brother is really talented making these wax figures and all that. Um, and he's still around. He's just kind of what he says. No, what he says is he's off in the big city. Oh, that's right. He says right. he's off in the big city making his living doing this. So supposedly he's not around. Well, so then Slauson leaves the girls and goes with Jerry to fix the Jeep. And he warns the girls not to wander outside. But this is after they've already noticed that there's that house out there. So as soon as they leave, Eileen's like, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to go up to the house and see if there's a phone. And she goes over there and she hears a man talking and she finds all these rooms filled with mannequins and dummies. And she starts hearing somebody whispering her name and she's looking around and this creepy figure, it's a big person, so I immediately thought it was a man. Mm -hmm. This creepy guy in this really creepy mask shows up. I don't even know how really to describe the mask because it's not, <sighs> I don't want to say Phantom of the Opera because it's not like that, but similar. I mean, it covers his whole face, but it's like two pieces. There's yeah. like the, a face plate and then like a chin plate so that he can still talk and his mouth moves. But it's very creepy. It's very evocative of those wooden ventriloquist dummies, right? Where like, yeah, like the yeah. jaw it, itself, but just below the mouth kind of opens up and, and right. goes back and forth, whereas everything else, like the cheeks down to the to the jawline are stationary. Right. I thought it was kind of nice, actually, that that mask then um, is evoked in the mannequins around the house, because yes. all these mannequins, they don't look like... I mean, I think they're supposed to, but not many of them look like finely detailed wax figures that look almost real. They mostly just look like like department store mannequins. But then later on, their jaw detaches like the same way and their mouths open up in this very unnatural way, which is super creepy. I mean, I think that could give you nightmares. It could, but that's one of the things that I really like about this movie is that for the most part, they just look like mannequins, but oftentimes you see a lot of them at the same time. Like, you're looking down a hallway or something, and like they're lining the hallway, and most of them just look like mannequins, but I thought that it was really cool filmmaking that every once in a while they would clearly stick actors in. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so some of them are strikingly lifelike because they are real people. And that, that only increases like in frequency as you move 
throughout, but it, it's jarring to kind of scan these mannequins and just kind of notice that, wait a second, that's a person. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you call it cool filmmaking instead of cheap filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It, it is cheap, but it has an excellent impact, I thought. I thought it was really creepy. Well, it's true, especially because you still really are not sure what's going on because you've seen all this mechanical stuff, but then we've seen this like supernatural stuff and you don't really know what it's all about and and they they play with that a little bit in this movie I think and whether it's intentional or it's just you know low budget that kind of happens to to work for the movie you're right it's like seeing what may be humans in there because this is always in the back of your mind right i mean who hasn't seen how well maybe many people haven't seen like the original house of wax with vincent price but it's mm-hmm. you're always wondering okay well people are going to die there are all these mannequins maybe they're actually people you know maybe they're actually people covered up and then, <laughs> as she walks into here, the eyes of these dummies are following her. They're turning and looking at her. They look really good. Could they be people, but just the eyes are able to move? <laughs> you know? Um, it's it's really unsettling uh, to see this happening. I mean, it's derivative, and it's kind of classic haunted house type stuff. But it works, I think. In, in this setting. So this guy enters in. You're right, he's got this mask and he's running around breaking things. And then, like, again, the supernatural. It's like he's looking in different directions and it's causing dummies to, to fall off the wall on her or, you know, look at her. Uh, and a chair just shoop, right up to her, which she flops down in and it spins around. And I think at this point I was like, okay, there must, we're, we're saying that he's telekinetic. Mm-hmm. This was the moment where I realized, all right, then he must be telekinetic. And so at least some of what's going on here isn't supernatural at all. He's just controlling it. Mm-hmm. But would he be controlling the individual eyes of all these dummies just for fun? That was still kind of going through my mind, like maybe there's still more to these dummies than that. And so it just added to this hodgepodge feel of the movie, you know? He kind of explains it later. So I feel like maybe I should hold off on talking about it. But. But Eileen gets apparently strangled by her own scarf. Mm -hmm. No hands pulling it, just you see it being tightened around her neck. Then the other girls marvel at a mannequin in the place where they are, that little shop, and and they touch it and they say that it feels like real flesh, which I thought would pan out to be something, but they never really address that. And then Slauson comes back and says that Jerry took the truck to town. Super suspicious. Super suspicious. And he talks about that mannequin that they're looking at, and he says that it was his wife and that she had died of cancer, and he loved her so much, and so he made this figure of her or whatever. She was a good cook, a good worker, good everything. <laughs> yeah. Just like a woman should it's, it's be. Kinda, <laughs> and it's creepy. Like, he's got her, like, it's it's creepy. Uh, he's got her on display in, I don't like, it looks like a doll box almost, like an open front and, and it's lights around lit it. all around yeah. it's it's kind of i don't know but then I mean, you know they're like oh she looked beautiful and he says she is beautiful 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, what does he mean, right? Is the, is she in there somewhere? W- or is she somewhere else? You know, it's, it's, it's weird. He notices that Eileen is gone, and they say she went outside. So he goes out looking for her, and he goes to the house. And this part is weird, because he, in the house, he's like, Davey, are you there? Davey, Davey, like he's looking for somebody. As it turns out, we find out that there is no Davey. He is Davey. Yeah. He's both. But this suggests to me that there is some disassociation. Maybe he really believes that they are two different people. Yeah. It's odd. But he finds Eileen and, like, she's been turned into a mannequin. Weird. Yeah. Creepy. That was weird. I wasn't sure how to parse that, really. I mean, it makes no sense logically, but I think that it's kind of explained in the end. He's got these telekinetic powers. We Again, we just don't know what the extent or limits of his powers are because he can do some weird shit. But I feel like that's jumping the gun. I'm trying okay. to hold, hold it back. back. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Becky and yeah, and and they want to they decide they want to go look for Eileen too because Slauson hasn't come back. So yeah, so they leave and they go down to the house and they hear Eileen's laugh from inside and they're like, "Oh, okay, Eileen is in there with Woody." So even though Molly is really really reluctant to go in, uh, Becky just goes up and decides to climb the trellis on the outside because there's a light on upstairs. I guess she decides that's better than trying the front door. And Molly, who I thought in like three triple takes, uh, starts to walk to the woods, turns around, looks back, walks to the woods, turns around, looks back, walks to the woods, turns around, looks back, um, and finally decides now she's not gonna, she's not gonna go. And I think she actually goes back, doesn't she, to the yeah, she does the museum, uh-huh. while Becky goes inside. Now. I don't know about you, but I felt like the movie was very dark, like visually dark. Right, yeah. Sometimes it was kind of hard to see, and it was it was very stylistically lit, but at times I just couldn't even see exactly what was going on, and I'm not even sure that was helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he she goes in there, and just like the others, she hears somebody whispering her name, and it's just she's surrounded by a room full of ma- mannequins. And she goes to that chair... Um, there's this mannequin there with the scarf tied around its neck. She turns around the, the, the chair or looks looks at the other side, and it looks like, again, uh, sort of like Eileen, but it's got that mask thing on, and it reaches up and scares her. Now, was that him? Or was that with the no, mask on? No, because he... Sh- he no, it wasn't. He Because he shows up behind oh, her, Oh, that's too, right, that's right. And eventually he kind of jumps... Well... She sees Eileen, but then she also sees him in a seat, and he she spins him around, and he does jump up at her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she she runs away, and the door slams on its own, and then she's struggling with the door. But when she opens it, tons of mannequins like fall on her, yeah. and she's all bruised up. And the creepy guy, who the production people ended up calling Plaster Face, yeah. as a play on Leatherface, which is pretty funny. so like Leatherface. She hits him with a mannequin arm, and like she hits him, and he's out for a second. But then, God, this, I, this is the weirdest part of the movie. I was telling Alan about this last night. I'm like, then the mannequins all look at her and open their mouths and sing, like, yeah. <laughs> and they do this several times throughout the movie, and, and increasingly more as the movie goes on. Like a mannequin will turn its head, its jaw will fall open, it'll go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like harmonizing with each other. Uh, 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 
and it is really super weird. Like it's weird, ephemeral. It, it, it's it's strange. It, you know, and this is where the movie diverges a little bit for me as far as like it. It's no longer creepy. It's just weird. After you see enough of these mannequins and their mouths opening and this thing, it's it's almost like a little bit too much for me anyway. And that's when I, I was like, okay, I'm just more puzzled than anything at what is going on and who's moving these. Is he still moving them? Is there still something to them that I don't know? But um, they're kind of piling on her and like literally piling on her, like just sort of falling on her. Yeah. I guess while he's kind of knocked out, he must still be controlling them, but he supposedly he is, knocked I think. out. But this is where, like, the movie kind of hits its... I don't want to say hits its stride, because it's been fine. But this is where things just kind of go off the wall. Yeah, really. We see the creepy mask face guy carry Becky down into the basement, where Jerry is tied up to a post, and there's a girl that we don't know tied to a table. And at this point, mask guy starts talking, and he talks in this really weird voice mm. like this. You know what? You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of New Year's Evil. You remember that one? Yeah. Like, I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and so like he talks to this girl on the table who we don't know. He's like, "You're so pretty. Why don't you like me?" It's like it's so weird. And the girl after he goes upstairs, the girl's like, "He's crazy. We're all gonna die. He's gonna kill us. He. I was just getting gas and he grabbed me. I never even saw him coming." And like. The creepy guy gets himself all made up in a top hat and a cape and gloves and stuff, and he comes back with booze. He's like, we're going to have a party. And <laughs> he straps her head down. He starts plastering her face, but he narrates the whole thing. Oh. Like, oh, your face is burning now. The past is getting tired. Your world is dark. You'll never see again. It's getting hard to breathe, isn't it? I'm going to seal the last openings. You won't be able to breathe, but you won't suffocate. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, like, he covers up her mouth and nose, and she dies. And he says, now you're one of us. But Jerry has been chewing through his ropes, literally, <laughs> like a cartoon character. And he does get out, uh-huh. and he attacks him. And let me just say, like... This is very um, kind of Phantom of the Opera, kind of abominable Dr. Fibes vibe. And the music here, the music is like a score from another era. It's so bizarre. But because it's so bizarre, I really like it. I mean, of course, this movie's from another era, but I mean another era from this movie. Like, the score felt like it fit in uh, oftentimes more with, like, 1950s Vincent Price movies. This overly... like, Babes in Toyland, or... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. It kind of runs the gamut. Like, even in the earlier part of the movie, it's kind of bouncy and groovy. It was scored, actually, by a man named Pino Donaggio, which they had to convince to do, because he had scored Carrie a couple years before this. And he did Piranha. Uh, he went on to do, like, Dress to Kill, The Howling, a ton. I mean, this guy's huge in this, you know, as far as scoring. Scored Hercules, Body Double, a lot of horror movies, a lot of Italian films, some Giallo picks, a couple that we've already seen. 
all the way up through the 80s and 90s, 2000s. He's still scoring movies now. And they, producers of the film, or the, I think the director of the film was ultimately kind of disappointed. They really wanted more of a synth-type score, you know, like John Carpenter kind of Halloween-type mm-hmm. score. And they got this kind of minimalist orchestral kind of score that when you hear it, especially in moments like this, oh, it's totally Carrie. You know, it's like The Fury, it's like Carrie. Well, of course, you've scored some of Brian De Palma's movies. It sounds so much like that. And it sometimes just feels a little out of place with what's supposed to be, you're thinking, a grittier late 70s, early 80s, freaky Texas Chainsaw massacre kind of movie. But it never really reaches that level. And part of that, I think, has to do with the score. I like, see, I liked the score just because it. it was so bizarre that it had almost like a jarring effect. Like it caused unease. Like it made me uneasy just because it was so weird and strange. I don't know. I meant to say something about it at the very beginning because at the very beginning, it's almost like uh, clockwork or machine work, like clicky, clanky kind of stuff. It's bouncy and kind of groovy, too. I mean, you know, it's really weird. Yeah. But you're right. So so that was so corny though you know i'm gonna put this on your face but it's not gonna kill you even though i'm covering your nose and mouth what's gonna happen is your heart is gonna beat so fast it's gonna explode and you're gonna die from fright like really maybe just his telekinetic powers made that happen because i don't think that's actually a medical medically reliable way to kill somebody you know what i mean but (laughs) yeah and i mean he, he literally he's just putting pizza dough on her face like yeah literally that's what it is she, yeah she'd probably be okay um, but <laughs> yum it's just so strange like he's so odd that mm-hmm. it it worked for me like i thought that it was very creepy the next i feel like 10 15 minutes is a lot of him just chasing people around it's important to note though that when after his fight with jerry he like freaking lifts jerry up the wall like he's a superhuman yeah People can do that in movies. (laughs) Yeah, they do that all the time. But then he, again, like Jerry's bound up again, and he's sitting at the table, and he goes on kind of a long diatribe again about his brother. And he's just talking about, you know, oh, yeah, his brother thinks he's more handsome than me. He makes me wear this mask on my face because I'm actually more handsome than him, and I hate my brother, and I want to kill my brother, and goes on like that. And I'm thinking, could the movie be that simple, that... Yeah, this is just his it's crazy brother, Davey. I, I, that's that's kind of what I was thinking was happening here. And I was like, okay, he's got this telekinetic brother. Well, that's where that comes in, because he drops a key, and Jerry sees it, and he tries to retrieve it, but the mask face guy sees and moves it with his mind. Mm. And then he explains, I have this power, and my brother doesn't like me to use it. And he goes on to say, but it feels good <laughs> when I use it. He says, but it also scares me, because sometimes I don't even know what i'm doing so mm. like he does it's it's as though he doesn't even have full control of it yeah. which i think explains why some of the times where it appears where he's out he continues to still have this influence like oh. he doesn't even under he doesn't even understand it. oh that's deep he can seemingly do just about anything but again lots of running around running through the forest he chases mm-hmm. molly through a forest she jumps over a fence he has a mannequin head <laughs> that 
talks and he keeps saying like meet my friend <laughs> like, throws it at her it's so weird and it's just the point at which she gets picked up by slawson like slawson yeah just suddenly pops up and is like what are you doing here oh my gosh we got to get you to safety and and he you know picks her up in his truck and he drives her back and she says oh i've been chased by this guy who's wearing a mask and he goes oh my god that's my brother he goes on a whole thing like oh he always wanted to be like me he always wanted everything i had including it's the opposite my face. like <laughs> yeah, it's just a parallel I know, it's dialogue so weird. we heard before yeah and it's too much really i mean it's just too much explanation through dialogue with these things anyway you know uh he takes her back to the the, the museum and even though she's never shot a gun before in her life just hands her a rifle and says now you stand out here while i go inside and if he comes you know you shoot him and she's like, well, I've never shot anything. He's like, oh, you just aim it and pull the trigger. Well, it is a shotgun, actually. So, yeah, I guess that's pro- maybe all you need to know if, if you don't care about kickback. I was gonna, Yeah, like if it's like a twenty two, that that'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he shows up. The masked the guy. The creepy guy. Creepy guy immediately shows up and starts walking towards her. And she shoots him twice at point blank range. And each time he just kind of stands up and comes towards her more. So she whacks him in the face with the rifle and the face mask shatters and it's Slauson. So uh, you're like, oh, okay. And for me, this was actually a bit of a reveal. I mean, me too. I kind of thought maybe, but I was, you know, it was just one of many little possible explanations. But I was I was genuinely a bit shocked to see that that was him. And even for a moment, I thought, well, maybe they're just twins or something played by the same actor. Mm -hmm. Because they play a trick on you. You know, even in the credits, uh, they show a a different name, uh, which is just a non-existent name for who plays Davey. But yeah, so uh, she goes running. (laughs) She kind of runs away. She kind of backs into the forest and just sort of absentmindedly backs into a pond. And suddenly, inexplicably behind her, like he's been waiting under the water this whole time, he slowly rises up with this spooky, evil, goofy movie villain grin on his face, and wild eyes, uh, and grabs her and takes her. I, th- I thought, come on. It <laughs> makes no sense, but it looks really cool. Like It, it did look very cool. creepy yeah. when he comes up out of the water behind no her, and she's totally oblivious, totally creepy. Anyway, they all end up back at the place, and like now he, we know he's both people, and so now he's totally weird, and he's like putting on different masks and playing with dolls and the mannequins it's he interacts with them like mm. he has dinner with one of them and it talks to him and he puts food in its mouth and then its head falls off so like it's bizarre like he can completely animate these things and Jerry and Becky are running around and Becky ends up getting killed one of those shooting mannequins shoots her or no throws a knife in the back of her head mm-hmm. but he has Molly and like Molly wakes up like a fever dream and she sees some woman like taking care of her ultimately it ends up being a mannequin but it looks like a real person and I read that that was the director's wife uh, who played that role and she had lines and he cut them and she never forgave him <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. It is hilarious. But it just turns out that it's just this really surreal thing where he's controlling all of these mannequins and they can move about and talk and 
do all kinds of weird things. And it ends up in a showdown where Jerry, uh, he's got Molly. Oh, and this part was super creepy. He's mm. like, you're so pretty. And wasn't my wife pretty? And you remind me of her. And he puts a, a, a mask of the wife on her face and then tries to kiss her. And it's so creepy and uncomfortable. And she's crying. Um, but then Jerry shows up. And, like, comes in. It's like, come on, I'm going to take you out of here. And Slauson's just standing there. She's like, come on, Jerry, let's go. And it's like he can't move. And Slauson walks over him and to him and just takes his arm off. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a mannequin. And then grabs his head, grabs the actor's head and twists it. And in a cut, obviously, it becomes a mannequin. And he pulls his head off and throws it down. And then what happens in this part, it's like... We come to realize, apparently, he can make these mannequins turn into people. Yeah. And he can make them do things. And I, I've skipped things because I, we're nearing the end of our time. And, like, there's a great part where Becky and Jerry pretend to be mannequins and kind of fool him. And this is where it gets really creepy where you really can't tell which ones are people and which ones are mannequins. And, and, uh, I'll never let this kind of cameo go. Linnea Quigley is a uncredited mannequin in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's my girl, so I'll, I'll always shout her out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so bizarre. And like, he picks up one of the mannequins, a, a lady mannequin, and he starts dancing with it. And like, in various cuts, it's a mannequin, and then it's a real woman. And all of the mannequins are like laughing at, uh, Molly. And eventually, she grabs an axe and uh, axes Slauson in the neck, and then he dies, and all of the activity ends. But and then it just closes up on her face, and she screams. And the last shot of the movie is her driving away in the jeep with all of her friends, but they're mannequins. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That last shot of the movie, as grainy as it is, might be my favorite because she all, <laughs> she's got this big smile on her face. It's almost like she's just mad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I rushed through that last part. Like, Slauson talks about how he had killed his brother and his wife because he had found them cheating and blah, blah, blah. But, and then he's also like, but I didn't really want to kill them. Like, they try to make him... Like, he's crazy, but kind of sympathetic, but not, and then whatever. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, in the end, I thought... It was a, a, a creepy movie. It was def I found it very creepy. All of the mannequins doing their, ah, and like mm. turning their heads and their jaws dropping and moving about and then ultimately like turning into animated people. Um, it was very creepy. The, the whole plot point of this masked killer also having these unexplainable telekinetic powers. Like you said, it is a hodgepodge of so many things. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho, Carrie, uh, all of these things. But in being that hodgepodge, it's, it's unique. Yeah. And it's unlike anything else I've seen in some ways. Um, and though I don't think it's a great movie... I don't think the production value is great. The acting is fine. Nothing amazing. Um, but I think it's just a, an, an interesting gem 
of a, a horror movie. And for for real horror fans, I would say, oh, yeah, watch yeah. it. <laughs> you know, it is uh, in, in being a hodgepodge, like you said, there's nothing you've ever seen like it. Yet there's so many things you've already seen like it. But it like you like we said earlier, it just the 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 whole is the sum of its parts is just uh, utterly bizarre. And it feels like a movie that I would have seen on a Saturday afternoon after cartoons on TV. Yeah. Um, it just has that feel. Or I really late night, yeah. I wouldn't say it ever really scared me too much, but, it, you know, it was creepy. And I suppose if I was younger and I'd watch it or less experienced with horror movies, it would have provided some nightmare fuel for me. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, yeah, I, I think... Again, if you're a horror fan or a fan of Tanya Roberts or Chuck Connors or any of these people, yeah, you know, watch it. But I, I wouldn't say put it high on your list unless you're just into this kind of thing, these kind of weirdo, psycho, killer kind of movies that's not going to be gross or gory. It's, it's very PG. And it's also the seeds, right, of future Charles Band productions. This movie became a cult hit uh, for a while and... Uh, probably has influenced, you know, Puppet Master, Dolls, Demonic dolls, Toys, yeah. you know, those uh-huh. those themes that, that he keeps revisiting and continues to milk, you know, and so uh, th- this idea had legs and he's explored these in different forms, I think, even with the same director, right? Uh, he did a lot of the Puppet Master movies and I think wrote, wrote one of them, if not the first one. So, yeah, very, very interesting film and a nice tribute to Tanya Roberts. She's she's in a lot of this movie. She's a perfectly fine actress. May she rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. May she rest in peace. I was really disappointed to hear that those electric blue eyes of hers are basically just contacts and she wore those pretty much her whole career. <laughs> Whatever. She looks good. <laughs> yeah, she did. No big deal, right? Do what you got to do. <laughs> Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us online, twoguys.red40net.com. You can also just search for Two Guys in a Chainsaw on Facebook. We have a Twitter account as well. Let us know what you thought of this film. Give us some other suggestions of movies to do. And until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Ah.